Hey, welcome to the MOD Report. This is the show where we talk all things HR and the crazy things we go through in the hospitality industry. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Giffen, and today I rant about improving employee accountability in the workplace. Then we're joined by Steve Sheldon, managing partner and executive producer of events with Epic Entertainment Group to discuss the challenges and what it takes to manage an event company in the Golden State of California. Lastly, we'll dive into the final segment of the MOD report. I don't want to give too much away, but it involves a minor, alcohol, pizza on the ceiling, and the police department. Employee accountability is vital to the success of any business. A machine needs various sizes of gears to keep running. Similarly, a business needs every employee, no matter how big or small their job is, to keep moving forward. If an employee isn't accountable, it will be more difficult to reach your business's short-term and long-term goals. And when employees work together as a unit to reach these goals, a business becomes more efficient. Sometimes it can be hard to let an employee know that they're not being accountable. While confrontation can be hard, it is important. You must, you must hold employees accountable for their lack of performance. Employees who are accountable will become frustrated that they are having to do more work to make up for a less accountable employee. So what is employee accountability? Let's, let's take a look at an employee's accountability at work. This employee attends their entire shift. They take responsibility for various duties in the workplace. They complete their daily tasks, work towards the business goals, and does the right thing while in the workplace. However, if an employee neglects any of these aspects of accountability, they are being unaccountable. How do you handle an unaccountable employee? How do you improve accountability at work? These are a few things that I want to talk about. So one, one of the things that you can do now is present business goals and rules. The first and most important step in improving employee accountability involves a list of clear rules and goals for the workplace. Sometimes, Employers are not clear on what an employee should be working towards. So make your expectations for each employee clear. Due to this, an employee will be less accountable because they are unsure of a business's expectations. So you have to make these expectations clear as early as the initial interview of an employee by perhaps providing the job description and uh, talking about it. Another thing you can do is provide immediate feedback. Immediate feedback. Positive or negative, feedback should be provided to an employee immediately. In the case of a problem, the sooner it is addressed, the sooner the employee can correct themselves. Due to quick, consistent feedback, an employee will either flourish from consistent praise or perform better because of correction. 
This feedback can be difficult to maintain as running a business is obviously very busy work, but it can also be eye-opening for you as the employer. Feedback isn't just one-sided. You might find that you need to improve certain sections of employee training or address a different problem among employees entirely. Another way in which you can improve accountability at work is by enforcing rewards and consequences. Nobody likes to dish out consequences in the workplace but without consequences, employees will continue to remain unaccountable. Let's say that uh, an employer has found out about an employee slacking off in the back room of their, uh, of their company. So if the employer doesn't go through with progressive disciplines, such as a, a verbal or written warning, the employee of any particular consequences, the, the employee will resume going into the back room. However, an employer that scolds the employee and warns them of potential punishment will push that employee to better their accountability. Now, I'm not saying when I use the word scold that we do it in an abusive manner, but it is no different than discipling that individual. If you have children, you know what I'm talking about. If little Johnny runs after the soccer ball in the middle of a busy highway without looking both ways before crossing the street, what do you do? Do you not say anything to little Johnny? Or do you have a discussion with Johnny? Hopefully, you have a discussion with Johnny in a way in which you are holding him accountable. Just as important to consequences, you must reward employees. Employees who are accountable and great at their job may feel neglected or ignored without any praise. A reward or a compliment will go a long way for an employee. Additionally, these actions can even raise the accountability of others. As other employees will observe their coworkers, they are getting rewarded, and they too want the same. All right, everyone, I want to welcome Steve Sheldon, managing partner and executive producer of events with Epic Entertainment Group, headquartered here in the heart of downtown Long Beach, California. Steve, welcome to my studio, a.k.a. my office at home. It's beautiful. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, so just a quick little history um, that we like to get to know, uh, all of our guests. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the industry. What is Epic entertainment? Um, and what do you all do? Epic is a full service live entertainment and event production firm. So we do everything, you know, soup to nuts in terms of event production, live entertainment management. Um, we have clients who hire us to do everything, from A to Z to manage an, a production, you know, from conceptual conceptualization all the way through implementation and operation. 
And we have clients who hire us just to do a piece, uh, you know, whether it's to run the operation, whether it's to consult on uh, creative development. Um, so we're, we're kind of available for all of it and um, kind of run the, run the gamut uh, depending on what the needs of the client are. Um, we started in 2016. I was previously the director of entertainment and events at the Queen Mary and uh, was there for about six years and at some point decided it was the right move to branch off and do my own thing. It was what I wanted to do. I wanted to focus. Um, I, I had opportunities coming to me that I wasn't able to focus on at that point because I was so busy at the Queen and wanted to be able to branch out and do some other things. So I was able to um, to make that jump, make that leap, and with the support of the Queen Mary, and they are actually now uh, one of my clients, which is fantastic. Love it, love it. What did you do before um, you you started Epic? You have a business associate, a business partner yeah. that you went into business with, right? Exactly. So, I mean, how does that... I'm just curious how it just came into fruition, like where you just hanging out over a couple of beers one day and you're like, let's start our own company. Like, how did you get into it? Yeah, she was actually my, my business partner, Charity Hill was actually my assistant director at the Queen Mary. Uh, so we, the two of us ran the entertainment and events department mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the new owners, um, of the Queen Mary leasehold, uh, urban commons came in, in 2015 and they had a little bit of a different vision than, what the previous owners had, they wanted to expand and, and do more events and different types of events and which makes sense for the venue. And it was just a little bit different than what we had been used to. And, uh, we kind of both at the same time saw a path that went, you know, we really, the Queen Mary really should be focusing on these, these new events that they want to do the, on a smaller scale, mm -hmm. but you, you need a dedicated team handling the larger scale events, the, the Halloween events, the, the things that are drawing, um, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of people. They're, they're different, um, monsters mm -hmm. really to, to, uh, to tackle. And we kind of formulated a plan and went to, uh, our general manager at the time and, and took it beyond there to the owners and, and everybody kind of agreed and said, yeah, that makes sense. So let's, let's give it a try. And so far, thank God it's, it's been great. Yeah, love it. We have, um, actually, we have listeners from all around the world, France, Brazil, um, according to my statistics uh, that I see looking at the show. But um, for, for the listeners who are not familiar with Long Beach, California, which is in the Los Angeles uh, County area, um, do you do any other types of events throughout the world, throughout the United States? And if so, what do those types of events look like? We do. Uh, we do more. We do events here in Long Beach with uh, the Downtown Long Beach Alliance as well. Uh, so we do some some of the Taste of Downtown events, which are food tasting events, uh, summer music events. Um, we do events all over the country with clients, and you know some of them. Uh, for example, we just closed an event here in Los Angeles that was kind of a live action um, uh, brand activation that was a month and a half long. And we just closed an event in Miami that was a, a light show in a botanical garden, kind of a walkthrough mm. experience. So we really kind of go all over the place from, you know, from Halloween haunt and horror to Christmas themed to walkthroughs to uh, music, anything you can imagine. We, we kind of jump on it. Love it. So you're clearly very busy. A little. I think there was a time when we tried to have lunch and it took like 
four or five months to make it happen. Yes. <laughs> yes. So with that, I mean, I'm sure there are highs to the job and there are lows to the job. Um, I think as within any positions that any of our uh, listeners um, have. So what are those highs and lows to your job? What do you like? What, what gets you excited when you wake up in the morning to go to work versus, you know, those times where it's like, oh man, it's another day and it's going to be a rough one. So what are the highs and lows would you say? You know, I think the highs really lie in being able in the, in the world of, of events and, and entertainment and production. There's a, um, there is gratification in, in seeing something that you create and you spend a lot of time in our case, we, we sometimes spend, you know, six to eight months developing a concept and, um, and creating what we're going to build and seeing that actually come to life and then watching people experience it and enjoy it is that there's a, there's an adrenaline rush there. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a gratification that you, I, you don't get anywhere else. It's, it's really, um, that in its, in and of itself is very fulfilling. The, the lows I, I would say one more high is being able to we're lucky that we have clients that give us kind of carte blanche in terms of um, creative and concept development. So the sky is the limit. Uh, the budget is the limit uh, in reality, but the sky is the limit in terms of, of creative. So having that freedom and being able to kind of create something that, um, maybe is taking a risk and still having the the backing and the support of our clients to do so that that is a high and that's not something that that you get in a lot of places which is mm -hmm. a lot of fun mm -hmm. lows would be um you know sometimes clients have their very pre-determined and preset ways of doing things that um we conform to you know and that that is that's our job. We do things. If somebody brings us in and says, this is your piece of the pie and this is how we want you to execute it, then that's exactly what we do. Um, the lows I would say would be when we look at something and say, this really shouldn't be, that, that really isn't the way that it should go. Maybe it should be done a little bit differently. Um, but we're not, we don't have the opportunity to really affect change. And it's kind of like when you, when you see a train wreck coming and there's mm -hmm. nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and not that we don't try and, you know, we, we softly and, and, um, kindly advise whenever we can, but sometimes, you know, you just have to do what you're told and in the way that you're told to do it and do the best that you can. So the, the lows I would say would be when, when you miss the mark and feel like you could have done something, something could have been done differently that would have, would have helped you get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, just briefly explain like what your what your employment structure looks like? It sounds like to be able to be really successful, particularly when you're having events across you know the United States down in uh, Miami or or wherever. Are we talking um, individuals who are on your payroll? Are they um, are contractors? I mean, how many people are we talking about here? So we've had both, okay. um, you know, and I think our business model will change this year. Um, uh, in fact, we're, we're, we'll have to have another lunch soon to, to talk about that, <laughs> um, how, how you can advise us. Four but, months out. No, I'm yeah, kidding. Yeah, really. Um, we have used in the past a lot of independent contractors. Yeah. And with the, um, 
with AB5 the past, uh, just recently here in California, mm-hmm. uh, which is changing the way that independent contractors can work and the way that companies can use them here in the state of California. Um, I think that's going to have to change to some extent. But we, we've kind of had a mix of independent contractors that we bring in for seasonal and temporary um, gigs, basically, and then uh, hourly employees as well. And we scale up and down. So we go yeah. anywhere from, you know, four of us in the office to, you know, 15 of us um, on staff at any given time. And then, you know, something that is unique, I think, about our business is we go into um, we go into events and, and one in particular, for example, uh, our client hires about 500 people as part of the event. We oversee them. We manage the 500 people, but they're not our employees. Um, they, they are hired by the by the client. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we kind of scale scale up within Epic within our own company, and then we we have um, kind of that extended reach as well with employees that are hired by clients and contractors that are hired by clients. Yeah, yeah, a lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. So um, let's talk about California for a moment. You know, California um, has typically been the state that others look to is in terms of actually California and New York, uh, the state of New York, have been the states that other states look to or even other countries look to as the role model for employment law legislation. You mentioned AB5, which um, as of today is actually being uh, contested. Um, It's being reviewed by the by the higher courts, but as of now, AB5 is the law, so we have to follow it with a contractor relationship. But I, I feel like in California, often what I hear from my clients and, and whatnot is that it's getting more and more difficult to conduct business in our state, and that the legislature in Sacramento and the current and past governors are making it so difficult for particularly small business owners to really be successful and to essentially help contribute to the local and statewide economies, but makes it a challenge. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm just curious on your thoughts. I know we've talked about it over dinner a little bit, um, but how has the way in which you have conducted business in the state changed over the course of a few years or whatnot? You know, I think the way that we've, we do business has changed just in the short time that we have been in business since 2016 um, in that we adapt with our clients. So it, it really, we see how it, it affects our clients more so than how things have directly affected us. Mm. Um, I think this AB5 change will be the biggest change to our business and how we work. Um, but with our clients, we, you know, we go in and I mentioned, you know, one of our clients, we, they hire 500 people to execute mm-hmm. one of their events. And so we, we deal with very much, uh, very closely with uh, the HR component there and seeing how they have had to adapt over the years and change the way that they do things and implement uh, policies and procedures that are are more kind of CYA, um, mm-hmm. it, it has, be, it becomes increasingly challenging. And I think um, the fact that California has become such a litigious and uh, in my opinion, overly litigious mm-hmm. state 
very um, uh, punitive toward businesses, toward small business in cases when, um, you know, potentially no harm has been done. And I, I think when I say that, I, I think particularly of um, wage and hour laws that require, for example, paychecks, final paychecks to be distributed to employees within 24 hours of, of termination. And termination could be, you know, for seasonal employees, um, that, that is their last day of work. Well, to, to do that for 500 people mm-hmm. when you have to you have to account for call-outs and people who don't show up and so many different things uh, is nearly impossible. But there are, there. I read a, a case of uh, a business the other day, not one of our clients, but um, they had a, a three-cent discrepancy on the final paycheck and ended up paying out $9,000 yeah. in, in fines. Yeah. Um, it's just overly litigious and overly... Uh, overcompensating in cases when no harm has been done. Yeah. You know, no one has suffered harm and no one had bad intentions. No one had malicious intent. Um, But we're still making it punitive for businesses and hard for, for small businesses to, to do what they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would ask the question, uh, well, how do we change that? But I don't even know the answer to that unless we run for office and figure it out. Maybe maybe (laughs) that is the answer. I don't know. (laughs) You know, it's, it, I, I don't know what the, um, what the answer is. And certainly, you know, in a lot of ways, people, as you pointed out, people look to California as yeah. kind of a, a guide. Um, and by all means, employees should be protected. Yeah. There should be, there should be laws and policies in place that protect employees from being taken advantage of. Um, and, you know, ultimately that, that is one of the reasons why unions were created mm-hmm. to, to ensure that people weren't being exploited and taken advantage of. Um, and now in many cases they're in, in my opinion, maybe this is going to be somewhat controversial. I think unions are, are outdated in many cases and they're, they're not, um, serving the purpose that they were created for and that they're creating more problems than they're solving. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the, and the statistics out there show that, especially in the white collar industry, uh, unions have been declining throughout the United States for the last, you know, two decades and they continue to decline. But yet they continue to try to flex their muscles in a way to show the, uh, their importance to to industries and and even make it more difficult. You know, one of my clients being in the construction industry, you know, it it makes it difficult up in particularly in the Northern California market, San Francisco and um, the greater East Bay area and and how powerful the unions are of their influence on employers, but also with the legislature mm-hmm. and um you know, I can talk years upon this, but when we talk about lobbyists and lawyers and politicians, you know, all up in Sacramento, all trying to create legislation for the greater good, I think at the end of the day, uh, the guy who gets hurt in the end is the small business owner, Mm -hmm. just to keep the politicians in office and to keep the lobbyists working and to keep lawyers rich. Absolutely. And that has been what I have seen, at least since I've started practicing HR in the early 2000s, each and every year, crazy legislation that gets passed day in and day out, including AB5 recently, where it's like, who is this helping? Because it's not helping the people that we're trying to protect. It's, it's helping the politicians keep their jobs so they can put their name on a bill. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's frustrating. But we live in the golden state. And so it is what it is. And you either have to adopt to it or get out. 
And so that's my question. What keeps you here? Why don't you, why don't you do what a lot of businesses do and pack up and go to Nevada where you don't have to pay such high employment tax or payroll tax or go to Arizona? Um, or now Idaho is, is a growing population of California residents. What, what's, what keeps you here? I think for, for us, what keeps us here is California and Los Angeles in particular is, is very much a hub of entertainment. Um, and the opportunities here for us um, are just greater. And even, you know, in those cases, when we work out of, out of town, out of state, um, it's, we're, we're certainly not central to um, the continent, but we're, we are in a, a major hub in terms of our airport and ability to get places yeah. uh, is probably easier from here. Um, and then just on a personal level, family and, sure. and all of that. I've, I've lived here in California my entire life, probably always will. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, you know, one of those things we, we roll with the punches and we know kind of what we're, what we're dealing with and we adapt accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's ever going to change, though. I mean, California used to be the leader in a lot of things, including number one in education, and now they've slipped into the 40s out of 50 states. And rather than legislation making our state better, it continues to get worse. So whatever they're trying to do, there being the politicians um, and lobbyists and lawyers, clearly isn't working. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too. You look at different um, different rankings and you can look at one ranking in California is, you know, 49th in terms of, uh, being business unfriendly, you know, out of 50 States we're we're second to last. Um, but you look at another ranking and we're in the top 10 because of the access to venture capital funds and money is just flowing into the state and people are funding businesses here in California for a reason. So it's, it's an interesting dichotomy and I don't know, there's, there's going to be a middle ground, found somewhere. Yeah. But we've got to get to a place where, you know, we all agree that business has to be allowed to conduct business and in a way that is um that is efficient, that can be profitable and beneficial for both the employers and the employees. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I ask all my guests, I have one final official question, and I ask all my guests this question, and that is, if you can go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Delegate. <laughs> I love delegate, it. delegate, delegate. That is the key to success. Um, that took me way too long to learn, and I'm still learning it. I'm, I, I am very much, yeah. the, if it's going to be done right, I'm going to do it myself mm-hmm. uh, person, and getting to a place where you can hand something off, especially as a business owner, when it's, you know, it's your name on the line and it's your reputation on the line. Um, allowing someone else to manage that is terrifying. Um, but it's necessary for growth and you have to, you have to surround yourself with the right people in order to trust that you're able to delegate and that they're, they're going to, carry things forward in the way that you want them to and in the way that you want them to be done. Um, So delegate and trust, but verify. Don't just hand it off and expect everything's going to work out perfectly. It's good. Good advice. 
Great. Well, anything else? Anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to ask me? I mean, I want to know when we're having mimosas, really. Oh, I know. We able to do I that know. Today. I know. I know. It's a weekday. You know, yeah. if we were recording this podcast on a weekend, we would definitely be having a mimosa right now. I feel like it's a conspiracy. I was I was invited on a weekday. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only time I can get you. <laughs> All right. Well, next time we will definitely do mimosas and maybe we'll just, you know, throw the re- throw the microphones on and see where it takes us. Who knows? It's good. But until then, we're going to go out and we're going to change the world. And uh, if there's one lesson to be learned today, I think that is get out and vote. If you don't agree with yes. what legislation is happening and what's happening in your local municipalities, where most change is taking place is at your local level throughout the city, then get out there and vote and focus on your local municipality first, and worry about the presidential election last, folks. At the end of the day, the federal government does not impact your life as much as you think it may, but your local city does. Steve, thanks for joining today. It's awesome having you. Great to be here. All right. Thank you. It's time for the MOD Report, the segment where we tell you about a crazy experience you've been through at your work location. Here's an MOD Report that parents must listen to should they decide to get a hotel room for their high school teenager on the night of prom. Although it is somewhat not customary for minors to check into a hotel room on their own, oftentimes what parents will do, they'll arrive at the hotel and either check in their child by leaving a credit card on file and then sneaking the room key to their child without the knowledge of the hotel. Or they could even do a pre-check-in by completing a credit card authorization form prior to their arrival and arrive at the hotel to grab those keys early on. While this story did not have a happy ending for the mother necessarily, her child was extremely lucky. So during a night audit shift, I received multiple phone calls from other guests in nearby rooms complaining about noise from an adjacent room. So I contacted the guest room in question and spoke with the guest who was completely amicable and promised to keep the noise levels down. However, The guests in nearby rooms continued to call the front desk shortly thereafter. So it was then when I went physically to the guest room to see what was going on. And when I arrived to the room, a young man opened the door about a quarter of the way. And there were other folks in the background, but I didn't hear or see anything suspicious. So the guest was provided a final warning and told that should I receive another noise complaint, that the police will be contacted. Sure enough, another complaint comes through, and thus I contacted the police department. And when the officer arrived, I escorted him to the room, only to see several young individuals escaping out of the backsliding glass door. And so we entered the room, and it was destroyed. The mirror was cracked, the granite countertops were also cracked as if a sledgehammer was taken to it. And then my favorite, there was pizza on the ceiling, not to mention a bunch of alcohol and beer bottles left throughout the room. So the police officer temporarily restrained the guest while I contacted the parents and the mother came down to the hotel and the police officer asked if we would like to press charges. And it was at that point when I gave the mother an ultimatum. 
that the hotel would either press charges or she can pay for the damages. She accepted responsibility and paid upwards to $7,000 in damages later that month. So let this be a lesson to parents and hotelers alike. Parents, you are liable. You are liable for your child while they are on private property. And hoteliers, you have every legal right as the innkeeper to enter a room should you believe illegal activity or damage to the property is occurring. And that, my friends, is the MOD report. Hey, thanks so much for listening. The MOD Report is sponsored by InnoSpire, where cultures are built through innovation and inspiration. I'm Dr. Giffen, and we'll see you next time.